God, I thank you that our freedom is in you, that there is no freedom apart from you. And I thank you that throughout all the things that we do in our lives, when we come to the day that we stand with joy before your throne, we will declare, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Thank you, God. And help us in this time to focus on your word and continue in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're... Continuing our series in Matthew, um, although I will admit that it, this, this, these last few days had me almost break from that and, uh, and go somewhere else, which is sad because the verses we're going to hit are some of my favorite in the entire New Testament today because they give us a glimpse at Jesus's heart. They give us a glimpse at who God is in nature, who he is in action, why he does what he does. Um, and and these verses should, should really bolster our desire to serve him because of the way he looks at us. But before I keep rambling, let's open up to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, today we're going to be doing verses 35 through 38. So let me go ahead and, and, and read those to us. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Um, all right, so the, what, what we're hitting today is some verses that are basically the core of every single youth conference. Uh, it, but, but, but I'm not touching them the way that most often we hear. Most often I have heard is, hey, the, uh, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, go. Get out there, do it. But that's really not where Matthew is hitting in these verses. Um, so in verse, remember where we've been this whole time. We've been in Capernaum, right? So, so uh, when Matthew writes these verses, 35 to 38, he's actually creating kind of a bookend to Jesus's time in Capernaum. Uh, when, when we were in Matthew chapter 4, uh, which was six months ago because I'm slow, uh, but when we were in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew started this whole process, began the Sermon on the Mount, began all these verses with these words, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So in chapter 4, verse 23, Matthew gave you a synopsis for, hey, this is what we're going to be covering these next few chapters. This is, well, not really a few chapters, but this is what I'm going to be talking about. And now he concludes that section. He says, and now Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and so forth. So Matthew is trying to set the stage that now Jesus has gone out 
Jesus has, is leaving Capernaum alone, although I, I, if, if I remember correctly, we come back to, in a few chapters, Capernaum, but Jesus is going out. His ministry is expanding. He's moving elsewhere, and, and what is he doing? Well, Matthew gives us three things. He's teaching, he's proclaiming, which, by the way, the, the word means preaching. So he's teaching, he's preaching, and he's healing. He's doing those three things. Now, we actually... Back, <coughs> excuse me, back in Matthew chapter 4, I did talk about how those three things overlapped. Teaching does not mean he's not preaching, and it does not mean he's not healing. We've had several interruptions, even in the last chapter, of when Jesus is teaching, and then, hey, what do you know? Some dude just got lowered through the roof, and he needs to be healed. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. He does what's necessary at the moment. We also uh, find that while he's proclaiming, he's also teaching. That's the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's talking about the Old Testament law, and he's applying it in a gospel way. He's giving the good news of it. He's, he's helping, uh, helping the, his hearers understand that what is taught, the law, means something deeper, the gospel. So there's an overlap there. He didn't just like teach only in the synagogues and preach only outside the synagogues and heal only in particular places like pools, which is, by the way, what they would, that, that was, this pool of Bethsaida comes up later, but it was a pool. You got in and apparently you were healed, maybe, and you got out and you're healed, and whoop-de-doo. So, uh, so, so Jesus had his ministry that kind of overlapped, but Matthew summarizes it with him teaching, preaching, and healing. Um, it's also worth noting that when, <clears throat> when Matthew says that he healed every disease and every affliction, it could probably be more rightly translated or rather more rightly thought about as every kind of disease and every kind of affliction. Jesus didn't just go around like a bleach bomb and purify all the germs from Galilee. That's not, that's not what he did. Uh, he went and he, he, he looked on people, saw their issue, healed them. But as most of us can attest, when we're solved of one problem, another one tends to arise. It's like you plug one hole and another one starts. It's like, it's, 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 it's like you injure yourself, you heal from that injury, and then your car breaks down the next week. Or, or maybe you know, a pipe bursts and you fix that pipe and you're like, yes, yes. This is great. And then you stub your toe walking back inside. Afflictions seem to keep arising, don't they? No matter how many afflictions get solved, there's another one that just crops on up. So when Matthew says that, that every, it, Jesus healed every disease and every affliction, it doesn't mean that all the, 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 the stains of sin and the fall were eradicated from the regions he went. But every person that came to him, he helped. He helped them with what they need. He was proving his messiahship. He was proving his miraculous power to do these things. And when he looked on people, he looked on them not just as a, <clears throat> as a project, as, as a problem to be solved, but he looked on them with compassion. And that's actually what forms the heart of these verses is that compassion of Jesus, where we see his motivation, where Matthew summarizes very succinctly 
This is why Jesus did what he did. In verse 36, he, keeps, or he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. So when Matthew writes that, it doesn't mean like, oh, now he started seeing the crowds, right? Now he started looking on them with compassion. No, what Matthew is saying is that Jesus, whenever he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Have you ever, have you ever thought about what God sees when he looks at you? Probably. Probably you've thought about it. Maybe you've assumed that, that when God looks at you, he's dissatisfied. Oh, if only you would have. Or, or maybe, maybe he's disappointed. You know, you knew better. Is that how God looks at you? When God looks on people, does he stand there shaking his head, furrowing his brow, maybe beginning to raise a finger or two to start shaking? Have you ever gotten the double? The double shake when somebody's really dissatisfied with you and they do this and they frown. Yeah, now I'm getting it right now. You're really dissatisfied. So, <laughs> so uh, the, the, that's not how Jesus looked on the crowds, is it? Matthew says no. He looks on these crowds that come to him, crowds of, of people who were, <coughs> excuse me, taught bad doctrine, who had wrong thinking, who were, who were messed up, people who even taught the bad doctrine, people who had propagated uh, what, what was taught as doctrines, the commandments of men. That's the, that's the great old rebuke against the Pharisees, adding hundreds upon hundreds of rules and regulations. And, and these are the people that had done that, that had propagated that in Israel. They were coming to him. And then the victims of this teaching were coming to him. And then the victims of sin and the victims of demons and the victims of, of illness and affliction. And they came to Jesus. And did Jesus go, oh my gosh, guys, leave me alone. Back away. Give me a break. I'm sleeping. No. No, that's not how Jesus looked on them. In his own humanity and divinity, he didn't look on them with, 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 with tired, anxious, angry eyes. No, he looked on them with compassion. Why? Why would a holy and perfect God of justice look on these sinners, many of which who really made their own bed and should lay in it, why did he look on them with, with, with compassion? Because they were helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. Think about that image for a second. Think about a, a, a flock of sheep without a shepherd. You know, they're not entirely defenseless, right? Rams have horns. Horns hurt. I have never been hit by a sheep. I've never been kicked by a sheep. I've never been run over by a sheep. But hey, you know what? A quick Google search determined that some people have died because the ram has run them over. And we all know Google knows everything. So, what, so sheep are not entirely helpless, right? They can defend themselves. <clears throat> but if you've ever seen sheep when they're cornered, they gather into a big old bunch. Why do they gather into the bunch? Well, one, because they're a larger mass, and maybe the people in or the people, the sheep inside don't get harmed, but the sheep on the outside, man, they're targets. And even if a ram starts going after a, a wolf, 
there's more wolves. There's never just one. The lone wolf is not a real thing. There's always a pack, always a pack nearby to come. And honestly, if one wolf is distracting the ram, what are the other wolves doing? They don't stop at one. They keep going. And in this time, there were actually lions in Israel, real live lions. We're not talking about in the zoo. We're talking about wild lions. And, and when a lion or a group of lions attacks a flock of sheep, that ram, not, not going to do a whole lot of good. So a, a shepherd would stand there with his shepherd's crook, and apparently, this, this is something I, I, I now, now I want a shepherd's crook, because if a lion attacks you, you know what you do? You don't hit it on the head, that's just going to make it mad. You take the crook, you grab the top of it, and you jam it down the lion's throat. The lion will run away. The Maasai Mara in, uh, in, in Kenya actually do that. So, um, but, but apparently it works. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if I ever get, like, if I start choking on something, I tend to spit it up and leave it alone. Same is true, apparently, with a lion that has a stick jammed down its throat. Leaves, leaves its attacker alone. A shepherd can defend sheep better than a ram. A shepherd can take care of the sheep better than, than uh, another sheep can, too, right? Like, sheep, sheep have immune systems. They can survive illnesses. They, they can fight off a cold. They can, they can deal with infections. But sometimes an infection or a disease or an illness, an illness gets so bad that a shepherd has to administer medicine. We're all benefits of medicine, aren't we? Aren't we? Haven't you benefited from medicine at some point in your life? Uh, maybe, you've, maybe you've got really bad allergies like I do, and you shoot Flonase up your nostril, Tricking your, tricking your capillaries and tricking your, uh, the inside of your nose that, hey, you're not allergic to that. Or maybe you're allergic to food and you've had to swallow food and you had to drink Benadryl through a straw trying not to swell up and die. Or maybe, maybe you, take, uh, you, you take heart medication or, or, or pain pills when you got a headache or a migraine. We're all benefits of medicine. Imagine sheep. Sheep can't be told by the doctor, hey, go home, take two, call me in the morning. A sheep can't swallow a pill. It can't, it can't chew anything unless a shepherd <coughs> is there to administer the medicine. That's the image that, that Jesus is portraying. Sheep are better off with a shepherd. And sheep are not always really that dumb, but they're pretty dumb. They're, 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 I, I don't think they would get any intelligence awards from, from the animal kingdom. Uh, they're, just, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not the most intelligent things. I mean, it, all you have to do is watch a bunch of sheep. They eat, somebody bleats, they all bleat, and then they go back to eating. Bleat means the noise they make. They go, bah, that's a bleat. So... When Jesus is looking at these crowds that come to him, and he's, he's moved with compassion to help them, he's hurting because they are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The same thing is true of you when you approach 
Christ. He doesn't look at you with dissatisfied, uh, disappointed gazes, like, like I give my kids constantly. Sorry, Abby. But, but he doesn't look on us with that. Instead, <laughs> he looks on us with compassion, knowing that many of us are like sheep without a shepherd. We're in a little bit different time, but, but people who are suffering in this world, Jesus looks on with, with compassion. He looks on you and me with, 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 uh, with all of our ugliness of sin, with our doubt, with our disbelief, with our even hatred of him and his ways. And he looks on us with compassion. In our imperfect, diseased, and afflicted state, he looks on you with compassion. That is the, 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 the view that God has on you. <clears throat> and what joy that should bring us, shouldn't it? Shouldn't that make us happy? Excuse me. <coughs> this cough is driving me absolutely bonkers. But what joy that should bring us, that he looks on sinners and he has compassion on them. He's moved to care through pity. You know, that's essentially what compassion is. It's pity that moves to action. Now, I'm sure there's some of us who would go, pity? Oh, I don't need pity. I don't need to be pitied. Friend, that is exactly what you need. <laughs> uh, without pity, there would be no one to come to the age <coughs> or the aid of an injured person. Um, I, I grew up, right? I'm, 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 I've had friends. Believe it or not, I've had friends. And, and uh, I've had good friends and I've had bad friends. <clears throat> I've had bad friends who, when I got hurt, laughed at me and left me on the ground. I've had good friends who have helped me up, walked me into their homes. Uh, I, I can't remember one who's ever helped me clean a wound, but I do remember some who got me their parents who could help me. It was because they, were, they pitied me in my stupid state. And I mean, when I got hurt, I was a really careful kid. So when I got hurt, it's because I did something really dumb. Like one time I flew off a rock wall with my bike because I cut a corner too sharp and I was going about 40 miles an hour. A uh, friend of mine had lent me his speedometer <coughs> that could tell you how fast you were going on a bike. So I was going about 40 miles an hour down a hill. I took a corner too sharp. I went off the, the pavement and, uh, and I, I, I then went off some, some person's rock wall and I landed and man, I twisted my ankle pretty good when I landed. I was lucky I didn't scrape my whole body, managed to recover um, and, and stop myself, but I couldn't ride my bike, couldn't, couldn't really walk. And a friend of mine helped me, got off his bike, helped me, feeling bad by the way that he gave me the speedometer and, uh, and, and you know, I, I wanted to see how fast I could go down this hill. We called it Powerline Park. It was just a long run with a sidewalk that kind of veered a little bit and then uh, uh, power lines that went above you. And it was really steep. It was basically designed to kill kids. So, um, but nonetheless, my good friend helped me all the way back home. Could have been that someone did that to him. My dad actually carried him home one time when he crashed at that same park. But he had pity on me and he helped me. Without 
pity there would never be anyone to nurse your wounds. There would, there would never be anyone to develop new medications. <clears throat> Without pity, there would be no doctors, even though at some point they probably become uh, maybe more greedy about money. I can't say that all around. I'm just, I'm just making a dumb statement. But we all need pity, and even more so, we need the pity of God. Because it was pity moved to action that had Christ himself condescend. He could have stayed up there. <clears throat> a God of perfect justice and holiness, perfectly satisfied in himself, could have stayed on that throne and just sat. But instead, he condescended to our level, taking on full humanity amidst his full divinity. And then he died for our sakes. We desperately need that pity. And that's the sort of compassion, the pity move to action, that Matthew summarizes <clears throat> in these verses. I promise I'm not like crying, just throat's driving me nuts. Um, and that's the pity that actually moves Jesus to the application here. And this is kind of the benefit of these in youth conferences is, that would be great, yes. Um, but in, in youth conferences, you tend to hear the application here. You hear the application of go. You know, hey, you could be a laborer. You ever, you ever hear something like that? You could be one of the laborers. So, hey, go off into the plentiful harvest and start harvesting. But that's not entirely what Matthew is trying to point out here. He's showing that Jesus went, sees these crowds, has compassion on them, and then he turns to his disciples and he tells them this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now pause there. When you hear the harvest is plentiful, do you believe that? Do you actually think that? Looking at our world today, do you believe that the harvest is plentiful? Because I hate to tell you, but Jesus said it. <laughs> so thank you, Karen. Um, so, so the harvest is indeed plentiful. I'm totally going to knock that over. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the harvest indeed is plentiful. Jesus says it. It's true. Despite... All the, the craziness going on in our world, the, 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 the anti-Christian sentiments that people have that basically every non-believer has had ever since, well, ever since truth, which was in the beginning. Uh, but, but the anti-Christian sentiments, the anti-Christ sentiments, the, the hate of, of the church, the, the mismanagement of, of all, all these things that are in front of us, right? The, the weird moral dilemmas that we're put into in our day and age. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. So did Jesus look at his apostles and say, all right, you lazy disciples, you lazy goons, get to work? No. No. He encouraged them, saying, the harvest is plentiful. And if you're in a point that Jesus is in where these crowds are coming to you, like imagine being one of the disciples, seeing all these people coming to Jesus constantly. They're probably like, yeah, it is. Look at all these people. 
And in our age, it's it's easy to just get jaded and assume that maybe Jesus is wrong. But he's not. And when Jesus says the laborers are few, is that a call to action? Yes, but not in the way you might think. Look at verse 38. What's the application? What does Jesus tell the disciples to do? Does he tell them to get to work? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Is it go labor? Is that the command? No, it's pray. Pray earnestly. So the command here is not, hey, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, why aren't you going? Lazy people, get out there. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying pray to the Lord. Why? Because it's the Lord who sends out laborers. It's not us manufacturing laborers. It's why, frankly, I get so tired, or rather, I, I try not to be like that pastor that says, hey, VBS is coming. Get off your butts. Go do VBS. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want only people that want to be there, that want to serve with joy, because any sort of non-delighted service, a duty-formed act, is not what Jesus calls his people to. Never once does he look on people with disappointment and say, get out there, I'm disappointed in you, try harder. That is not a verse in scripture. His command is to pray. Why? Because the Lord of the harvest. Think of that. This, <clears throat> the, the, the harvest is plentiful. God is above the heart of this harvest. It's his harvest. What's going to be harvested is harvested. So therefore, pray earnestly that God does send laborers. The Lord himself commissions his people to go. And hey, you know what? If God is pulling on your heart to go serve in a particular way, to go somewhere, to, to be a laborer, then I'm not going to stop you. But I'm not going to guilt trip you into it. It's only God who sends. The Lord commissions his people to go. But he also doesn't overload his laborers. Instead, he's sending out his laborers. There's, never, there's also never a scripture where Jesus says, hey, by the way, the work is going to suck, and you're going to do it all yourself, um, and nobody is going to help you. So oftentimes when I look at Pastors like myself who, who, who exhaust themselves makes me wonder how I'm reading this verse. Because Jesus is saying, pray. Just pray. Pray earnestly, trusting that the, that the harvest is plentiful and that he will send laborers. In our day and age, seriously, just going back to the point of how, do you really believe that the harvest is plentiful? Because we can get dreary and unmotivated, paying attention to all the things that get canceled, all the things that get argued about, right? Coca-Cola, stop being so white supremacist, Coca-Cola, with your red cans and your, 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 your drink, 
Stop being so white supremacist. We can get discouraged by reading all that and assume, oh, man, there's not much of a harvest left. There's not anything to harvest. I don't know where to go. Mm, no. Be rebuked by the words of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. Is. So if somebody is being moved to go into the harvest, it should not be because of duty. It should be because of delight. It should be because I want to serve the Lord. I want to do this. The mission field is not open to those who seek opportunity, who seek money, or, or seek to grow their own pride and their own fame, to boast about their good works. The mission field is closed to those people. It should not be open to those people. It's only open to those people who, like Jesus, look on the crowds of people with compassion and say, they're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Those people who yearn to take the good news of Christ into the harvest fields and start gleaning a harvest. Listen, if your service to Christ, whatever it is, is for any other reason than compassion and because you really do believe that the harvest is plentiful and that you know that the Lord of the harvest sends his laborers, then, then repent. Start praying that the Lord give you a delight in himself, a delight in, in the work, a delight in, in, uh, in, him, in him. I think I said that twice, but it's doubly important. But, uh, <laughs> but, but if, you, if, if, if your desire to serve is for any other reason than compassion, on the sheep without a shepherd, repent. Jesus saw the never-ending crowds come to him. He did not get frustrated with them, although he did get frustrated with the Pharisees, which is awesome when he calls them whitewashed tombs. Anyway, uh, but, but he did not get frustrated. Instead, he was overflowing with compassion. He is overflowing with compassion. The person who walks in off the street, who, who, who is doubting their faith, who is struggling with, 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 uh, with whether or not God even exists, the person that you pass at the at, at Thriftway, the person you go, th go past at food fair or talk to, the person who you walk by on the beach who does not know the Lord, when God looks at them, he doesn't go, ah, oh, that stupid sinner. If only they would just grab the, the, the bait of the gospel, and then I can hook them in. No, he looks at them with compassion. And if they're part of his harvest, then he's going to send a laborer. Have you ever felt really bad, like you have to force a gospel conversation with someone? Have you, have you, have you ever felt like, oh, I need to give the gospel to someone this week? And you just find the first person, and you're like, hey, Jesus loves you. <laughs> and the dude's like, what? <laughs> you didn't even say hi other than hey. <laughs> and, and even then, I'm, were you just grabbing my attention? Or were you trying to actually care about me? We don't need to force gospel conversations. God works them in. But Jesus looked on these never-ending crowds, saw them hungry for the bread of life, and gave it to them. 
He healed them of their illnesses and diseases. He casted demons out. He did incredible things to spread the fame of his own kingdom, the fame of his own kingship. It was Jesus' compassion that led him to do that. It's also Jesus' compassion that leads him to tell you to pray. Pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest, after all. So, when we read these verses, we shouldn't read them as the action of go into the field. That's Matthew 28. But these verses are reminding us that everything that Jesus did was done out of compassion. Therefore, everything you do in service of the Lord should be done out of compassion as well. Let's pray, and we'll close in our last song. Lord, I confess that I get weary, I get frustrated. I, I see the crowds of my own children coming to me, and I, I shove them away. <laughs> I, I, I get tired of phone calls. I get tired of my duties. I get tired of everything. And honestly, Lord, I confess that I've sinned against you in it. My actions should be out of delight of you, not, not duty to you. And Lord, I confess that I've also treated it as if treated the harvest as if it was not plentiful. But it's your harvest. You send laborers into it. And if you so will that I might be a laborer to go into the harvest, to, to glean some souls for your glory that you, that you have already made ripe, I praise you for that. Because it's your work, your sending, your field. Help us to trust that. Enable us to trust that. And enable us to want to serve with our compassion for the lost. Not out of a need to grow us numerically, not, not out of a, a need to look good on Facebook, not out of a, a need to fulfill some sort of spiritual requirement or wear some crown in, in your presence. But instead, let us do it because we love those people that you've put in front of us. May we worship you with our whole lives, seeing this gospel go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. The heart of Christ is rich with compassion. Go in peace, saints. <laughs>